Our scripture lesson is taken from 1 Kings 15, beginning there on page 551. In the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijah became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Maacah, daughter of Abishalom. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his forefather, had been. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam throughout Abijah's lifetime. As for the other events of Abijah's reign, and all he did, are they not written in the annals of the kings of Judah? There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. In the twentieth year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king of Judah. He reigned in Jerusalem forty-one years. His grandmother's name was Maacah, daughter of Absalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his fathers had made. He even deposed his grandmother, Maacah, from position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive Asherah pole. Asa cut the pole down and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and the gold and the articles he and his fathers had dedicated. The word of the Lord. May we pray. Lord, would you bless the reading and the preaching of your word, that it would touch hearts, because there isn't a person here today from our youngest person, Lord, whom we rejoice in hearing uh, that sweet baby's cries, Lord, to the oldest here, including the preacher, Lord, who doesn't need to hear the Word of God in a way that touches our hearts and draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant it be so, Lord, for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now, it's interesting, the New International Version, this, this is the 1984 version uh, that you can no longer get anywhere thanks to Rupert Murdoch, and uh, anyhow, that's not a joke. Um, but the 1984 version of the New International Version was the product of a number of denominations in the English-speaking world, including Australia, including the British Isles, including America and Canada, uh, producing this document. And it's, it's, it's a really great Bible. It has some paraphrases that are useful for example, uh, in the original Hebrew, uh, we have the statement that Ma'aka is the mother of uh, 
of, of King Asa, as well as the mother of his father, Abijah. And it just illustrates a basic principle. The word father and the word mother uh, in Hebrew, ab and am, uh, can refer to an immediate uh, ancestor, like your own literal father or your, or, or your ancestor. In fact, it can go back a number of generations. So when it says his father was so-and-so, his mother was so-and-so, it may refer to several generations back. It's just how the word av or ab and am are used in Hebrew. So uh, they paraphrase that so that you don't get confused. And uh, so anyhow, I want you to notice something. If you look and, uh, at verse 3, uh, concerning Abijah, and that's First uh, Kings fifteen three, page fifteen, excuse me, page five fifty one. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his forefather had been. Now that is an interesting statement, isn't it? Who is David? David is his father, and that means that he is the, the great-grandson of David, David's son Solomon. And then uh, after Solomon, and, and Solomon reigned from 970 to 931 B.C. David had reigned from 1010 to 970. And then we go to Rehoboam, who is the uh, grandson of David, 931 to 913. If we go to Abijam, and he reigned from 913 to 911. And, and so we see here, Abijam did not do, did not follow the Lord the way that David, his father, had followed. Notice what that means. That means that this man's father and grandfather had not followed the Lord. You ever think about that? So here is a skipping of generations. David followed the Lord. Notice the scripture is explicit and tells us that David followed, verse 5, David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now that, that's interesting there because it doesn't mean that David was without all sin. It means he had not sinned with a high hand. What does it mean to sin with a high hand? To sin with a high hand is to, say, is to say in effect to God, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you're telling me. I'm going to do it my way. That's sinning with a high hand. It's, it's, it's different than the kinds of sins that we often commit on a daily basis when somebody pulls out in front of us or when we see this terrible thing on the news or this happens or that happens or our spouse annoys us, and I know that poor Sandy has me annoyed her a whole lot more than uh, she annoys me. But everybody, if you've been married very long, you experience annoyance. So we're not talking about careless words here and there. We're talking about a deliberate act. And in David's case, we won't go back through that, but in David's case, that whole period of time when he hardened his heart at the time when kings go out to war, David decided to take, take it easy and stay home. And he sinned with malice aforethought. And there were dreadful consequences. But
But notice again that if we look there at verse 3 of 1 Kings 15, he committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And if you turn back a few chapters in 1 Kings, we want to see something there. And that's this, 1 Kings chapter 11, and let's look at verse 4. 1 Kings 11, looking at verse 4, and that is page 542. And it says in verse 4, and this is a warning particularly to people like me. Why is that? As Solomon grew old, you think that as a person grows old, as we looked last week at old counselors uh, and young counselors and old prophets, that, that they would be wiser. And I think Solomon did at the end of his life write uh, Ecclesiastes. When he finally, I think he repented before he died. But, but Solomon, when he got old, that means that he was finally secure. He had worked long enough to have plenty of money in the bank. He wasn't worried about it. Wasn't worried, you know, that trying to identify with where we are today. And it says, when he grew old, his wives turned his hearts after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God. Notice, as the heart of David his father had been. Look at this list, verse 5. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. We'll come back to that in a moment. On, the, on a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Now, I want you to look at this. This is very striking. And uh, it says again in verse 6, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Now people sometimes read the Bible and they read it in, a, in, a, in an unbelieving way. and say, well, obviously uh, this is wrong because David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. You've got to understand that the Bible is written as a whole book that needs to be read and follow the references. And the Bible will make clear in one place what's obscure or may seem to give us the wrong idea in another one. In other words, very plain in this very chapter that, uh, that we read later, that is in chapter 15, that David had sinned. And so, but what we want to see here is this amazing thing. Here is a man who had as a father David, and yet, having experienced unbelievable prosperity, he was an incredibly wealthy man because he capitalized on the fact that the Weamaris, which later was called that, the Weamaris, the way of the sea, that the place from the, the, from the Fertile Crescent, in other words, the place from the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, 
down to where Egypt is, people had to travel through this territory. And Solomon mastered it. And he was a, he was a tradesman. He would buy things for a certain amount and sell them for another amount. Uh, amount. So Solomon understood how to make money. And he had an incredible gift of making money. And he was able to subdue all of the enemies of God. And he reigned in a supreme way. He built the temple of the Lord. He built his own temple. But he's led astray because he married outside the Lord. That was something explicitly forbidden in the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. Why are we forbidden to marry outside of the Lord? Because God's design for marriage is an intimacy of the inner person. God created Adam and Eve, male and female, He created them, and He made them one flesh. That one flesh relationship is the most intimate of all relationships in the world. And when you become one with another person, you influence that person, and that person influences you. And so Solomon practiced polygamy, and that was not forbidden in the Old Testament for the hardness of their heart. God permitted it. But... He forbade intermarriage with unbelievers. The Bible doesn't say anything negatively about interracial marriages, but it says a great deal negatively about marrying someone of a different faith. Because in the most intimate way of life, which is prayer, when you're praying with a person, how can you pray with a person who doesn't believe in your God? How can you pray with a person who doesn't respect the value system that you get from Scripture. It can't exist. And what happened is, as this man gets older, he begins to forget the good dealings of God with him over the years. And so his heart turns away. It's utterly unbelievable what we read there on page 544. And, and that is, excuse me, uh, in page 542, where we're told that he built these temples for these gods. I remember meeting Moloch. Met him face to face. It was in 2008. Sandy and her sister and I had traveled to Egypt, celebrating our 40th anniversary, and her sister came along. And we toured Egypt, and then we climbed Mount Sinai, and then after coming down from Mount Sinai, we went to Jordan. And we visited Jordan. We saw Mount Nebo and other things in Jordan. And then we took a tour after other people in our group left us. Sandy and her sister and I and, four, and two Filipino ladies uh, toured uh, Amman and other places for a day or two. And in, in the Islamic world, a Muslim man can have up to four wives at once. And so it was interesting, as we walked the streets of Amman, Jordan, I had behind me uh, four women. And I'm sure the Muslim men looking at me thought, man, that guy's got to be rich. Or he must have, he must have a whole lot of washers to fix all those sinks for all those women. <laughs> Anyhow, so... While we're there, we went to the high place of Amman, Jordan, and I met Moloch there. Moloch was a rock, 
but they burned children alive in sacrifice to Moloch. And the same is Chemosh. Chemosh and Moloch, in essence, are the same God, just with different names. And can you believe that Solomon, the son of David, actually built on the hills around Jerusalem? Jerusalem is a city of seven hills. Can you believe that they built, he had built temples for his foreign wives, burning babies to these pagan gods? It's unbelievable how this man could have turned his back on God. And that's why when we read over in 1 Kings chapter 15, it says there concerning, uh, concerning Abijah uh, that he committed all the sins his father had done. 1 Kings 15.3 his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God as the heart of David his forefather had been, and so on. Now we go over from him, we're just going to pass him by. We've got two kings that are omitted there, well actually three. We have Solomon omitted, we have Rehoboam omitted, and then we have the next king, Abijam, uh, committed, uh, omitted. So we go down to Asa. And uh, we're told there that Asa, 1 Kings 15, 11, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, page 551. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Notice what had been happening in Judah during this time with three wicked kings. With three wicked kings. Look what happens. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his fathers, fathers, plural, fathers had made. So his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather had made these idols. That's a striking statement, isn't it? And who were the male shrine prostitutes? Well, in those days, in, in the Near East, they had... Shrine prostitutes. They had male shrine prostitutes, and they had female shrine prostitutes. They were, they were full service. And so, anyhow, why did people go and engage in ritual prostitution? This was a big deal in the ancient Near East. Ritual prostitution meant this. When you went to the temple or shrine or the high place of that god, and you engaged in physical relations with the person that worked there, whether male or female, they believed you were actually joining yourself to that God. That's what they believed. Just as we have the Lord's Supper, and we believe that when at the end of our service, not today, but at the end of our service, following the preaching, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, we believe that we are having communion with Christ. That's why we call it Holy Communion. So they believed that when they engaged in physical relations with a male or female shrine prostitute, they were engaged in, in communion with that particular God. And they believed that that would bring fertility, that that would bring prosperity, that that would bring good crops. And so that's the deal there. But notice, this man is very zealous. Verse 14, Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord 
all his life. But, and you've got to remember, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Turn with me, if you will, uh, to first to Second Chronicles, uh, chapter sixteen. Second Chronicles, chapter sixteen. And I pray that in my life, I will not have a Second Chronicles sixteen written about me. Second Chronicles, chapter sixteen. What do we see here? And that is on page. 695, page 695, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Verse 2. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace, and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, that means Syria, who was ruling in Damascus. And he says in verse 3, Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was a treaty between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. So that happens. And... Uh, so he enters into this deal. He gets entangled with a foreign nation. And uh, he sends a bribe. Break your covenant with Basha, who's the king of the northern kingdom. And so what happens? Look at verse 7, next page, 696. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram, that is Syria, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hands. Now notice what he says in verse 8. And we could go and survey these other things, but we're not in the interest of time going to survey them. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers and chariots and horsemen? Now look at that next sentence there in that verse 8. Yet, when you relied on the Lord, He delivered them into your hand. Now verse 9 is a wonderful verse. This is a verse I, I memorized years ago. Yet the eyes of the Lord range, to, range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. I want to comment on that for a moment. In other words, this man had seen great victories. One of the things that I began to do years ago when I saw a, a really dramatic answer to prayer is I began to keep a journal of answers to prayer and, uh, because it's easy to forget them. And sometimes I'm looking for something that happened and I go and now it's about 150 pages long and it's just an outline kind of of my life, and, uh, but especially significant things. And so I wrote it down. That was the incident where I had put, I'd put $110 in the collection plate on a Sunday morning. And I said, Lord, you know I'm really hurting financially. And I'd read the previous week and that year Isaac sowed and reaped in the land a hundredfold. And I said, Lord, I could really use a hundredfold blessing. And I said, Lord, you know, you haven't promised to give me a hundredfold blessing, but I could really use it. Please, Lord, bless this money 
and return it to me a hundredfold. Now again, God doesn't promise you that as such so directly as he'd done for Isaac. But do you know six weeks later, I opened up an envelope and it was in 1996 and inside that envelope were 200 shares of Wachovia Bank stock. And I got and looked and I checked I got the mail on a Saturday, and I discovered that Wachovia Bank stock closed on Friday evening at $55 a share. $55 a share. 55 times 2 is 110 times 100. Wow. It was to the penny a hundredfold. It was a very dramatic thing, and I wrote about it. I thought, wow, this is something you want to remember. And so uh, that's when I began to write down God's amazing answers to prayer. Sandy and I have seen so many amazing answers to prayer. Even yesterday, we prayed as our son and grandson were down near Venice, Louisiana, which is the very end of the Mississippi River where cruise boats go out into the Gulf, and they were hunting nutria. Uh, It was a deal that Ben had worked for his clients Uh, out of Houston, the man wanted to go on this hunt, and uh, Ben said, please pray that we have some sunshine, and we asked God to part the clouds, and we saw pictures, he sent us pictures of those dead rats, and uh, you you know what a nutria is? It's a giant rat with orange teeth, just imagine, they're ugly, and they're fat, and uh, and they're actually, because they're harming our environment, uh, Department of Wildlife and Fisheries puts a bounty on them. People go and get to hunt them, and, and you can't eat them. I understand somebody told me that in New Orleans, the Taco Bell was putting them in, but I don't know. And they have fur. They were raised originally for fur. But anyhow, God heard that prayer. We just wanted our grandson to see that God answers prayer. And when they were riding down, he had gotten his permit. So his daddy let him drive the car through New Orleans. Wow, that's something, having just gotten his permit. And at a point, all of a sudden, they heard a screech. And there were a bunch of cars piled up behind them. It didn't touch them. And we just want our children and our grandchildren to know there is a God in Israel who hears and answers prayer. And that's why I keep a journal. God does amazing things. He hears and answers prayer. The greatest apologetic we ever had for our children as they went off to school and left us was a legacy of answered prayers. Getting ourselves into a great difficulty again and again and again. And God answering these prayers and writing them down. So here's an example. And and the example that we find there on page 696 concerning Asa. The the second sentence in verse 8. Yet when you relied on the Lord, He delivered delivered them into your hand. And that wonderful promise. For the eyes of the Lord range to... See, I've memorized in the King James Version. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself mighty to those whose hearts are are fully His. Think about that. You want to see deliverance in your life? Do you want to have a legacy to pass on to your children that there's a God who hears and answers prayer? 
Give your heart fully to Him. That doesn't mean you'll never trip up. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. But it means that your heart is centered on the Lord that you want to do His will. And when you're aware you haven't, you repent and say, Lord, I was wrong. You were right. Please forgive me. And so, notice what the preacher said after that. You've done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. Wow. Preacher went from preaching to meddling. And uh, from now on, you will be at war. Now notice the reaction of Asa. And I think back to Asa's, Asa's father and grandfather and great-grandfather. And what happens later in life. Asa was angry with Assyria because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. I'm very grateful that nobody can put me in prison for preaching and stepping on toes. Although I've told you about the time the man pulled a shotgun when I was preaching on a street corner outside of a bar. Anyhow, so I'm grateful. At that time, at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Now, is it wrong to seek help from a physician? Of course not. But you better seek the Lord first, because lots of times things happen to us physically, financially, and other things to get our attention. Is God trying to tell me something in this? I always try to think that if I have trouble and in the night or whatever, wake up with a problem. Uh, I think, Lord, are you telling me something here? Always ask that. But you see, his problem is what? He'd cut himself off from being able to hear from God. Can you do that? You can do that and still be a Christian. I'll never forget a lady that, whose funeral I did. And she got mad at God. And she wouldn't let go of being mad at God. She could not hear from God. I remember back when we used to have a boat. We took her and her husband out on the lake, and we talked for hours. And she just said, I can't let go of it. She hated her husband's family. And her husband said, we're going to have to invite my family to our, to, our, to our wedding anniversary, our 25th wedding anniversary. I don't want to invite them. And she was so mad over it, so angry over it, because she did not like his family, that she got bitter and bitter and bitter. And then one day, I... I tried to counsel, and I said, you all need to come with me. I drove them over to a psychiatrist, and I left them there because I knew it was time to punt, and to punt to a professional, a psychiatrist, not a psychologist, a psychiatrist. And you know, he never did help her. She tried to take her life a couple of times, and then she actually did take her life. And I did her funeral. Can a person get out of the sanctuary out of fellowship with God, and refuse to have any dealings with God? I don't want to talk to God anymore. I know what He's going to tell me. No, I don't want to hear from God. And here is Asa. Look at Asa. All the blessings he had had in life. The wonderful, amazing, dramatic answers to prayer. And here he is. 
Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, he reigned a long time. Asa died and rested with his fathers. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier, covered with spices and various blended perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. Do I believe that Asa went to heaven? I do. I believe that once saved, always saved. If you're saved. But if you can go on and 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 sin and constantly ignore the Lord, something's going to happen. The first thing that God will do is to send you an affliction like this. Why did God send that affliction to His feet? So He would say, Lord... You're right, I'm wrong. Please forgive me, Lord. I want to hear from you. I want to have dealings with you, Lord, again. You know, if you're not happy today, and I address this particularly to people who may be watching, if you're not happy today, you've got to ask the question, why am I not happy? The number one reason that people are not happy is they know something that God has called them to do, and they're bound and determined, I ain't going to do it. Well, I want to tell you, you'll never win with God. You think you can beat God? God will keep the pressure on. And there's what happens in Asa's life. Asa got angry because he had been rebuked because he had not trusted the Lord, but trusted in his money and bought off the king of Damascus. He doesn't want to hear from God. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Shut up! I don't want to hear it anymore. And you know, if there's something in your life that you know God wants you to do, I'm going to tell you the number one thing that God wants people to do if they profess to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm talking to you. That's this. Have you forgiven everybody that's hurt you? You don't live in this world very long without people hurting you. And Jesus said, that teaches us when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he adds this enjoinder on it. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And he tells a story about a man who refused to forgive. And because of that, he was turned over to the torturers. I want to ask you today, on the 18th day of February, 2024, are you being tortured? Is there something that wakes you up in the night and you just can't get rid of it? And you keep thinking, oh, it comes up. You need to forgive Leroy. You need to give, forgive Jethro. You need to forgive Ellie Mae. You need to forgive Uncle Jed. Because they've done you dirty, we know. They done you dirty. They really done me dirty. How can I ever forgive them? If you don't forgive them, you're going to be turned over to the torturers, Jesus says in that parable. Are you being tortured today? Is there something you know you just got to do? And you say, no, I'm not going to do it. And I've got to tell you, I've only got one message for you. You can seek the physicians all you want, you can get all the prescriptions you want, but you're going to have trouble sleeping. You're going to be awakened in the night, and that 
that spot that itches, suddenly he's going to itch, and you're going to just be in misery. Why don't you go ahead and deal with your business today? Deal with your business today. Say, Lord, I choose to forgive. Name the person out loud to the Lord. And you know what? The moment that you choose to forgive, though you may have to do it over and over and over again, the moment you do, it's broken. Do you know that you can be here today and have committed first-degree murder and nobody knows about it, and you can walk out of here forgiven today? Are you kidding me? I could have committed first-degree murder and nobody knows about it, and I can walk out of the Trinity Presbyterian Church on Robinson Road in Texarkana, Texas, today forgiven and right with God and at peace in my heart. Can that happen for me today? Yes, because I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. And Jesus is here for you today. Won't you come to Him? Won't you give Him the thing that's bothering you? Won't you surrender all? Won't you lay it on God's altar and say, Lord, I can't handle this anymore. Please take it from me. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that anyone listening to this Word today would choose to ask Your help. Because we're not able to forgive other people without the work of the Holy Spirit. To ask You and say, Lord, help me to forgive that person who's stuck a knife in my heart, Lord, and twisted it. Please help me, Lord. I don't know how to do it. Give me your Holy Spirit's grace to forgive that person. Oh, Lord, if there's something else that somebody's holding on to, maybe it's an affair that nobody knows about, Lord, they'd take that and bring it to the altar today and say, Lord, I don't know how to stop this. I don't know how to be released. Would you give me grace today to let go of it? And Lord, would you give us grace when we've confessed our sins to believe that because Christ is risen from the dead, that you will forgive us here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. And our closing hymn is 